Come on, give it up for downtown. Good morning, guys. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Great to have you. Come on, you can be seated. So good, so good. I want to look in the back of the room at that camera and say good morning, Chapel Downtown. Hope you're doing amazing. So excited about this coming year, Scott's edition, all that's going to happen there, and so excited to be together. Christmas Eve, five options in the heart of our city. Hope you're having an amazing morning, 930. How's everybody feeling today? Good? It's sunny and nice and beautiful, and it feels like summer, and uh, what... No, it doesn't, but it's sunny, you know, and uh, man, we're glad you're here today, and uh, before we get diving into anything, I wanted to give you an update on something that's part of our church every uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas that we do, and we're really excited to roll it out today, and um, we, we've just had a conviction as a church that every holiday season, there, there's so much spending and so much commercialism and, and and, and listen, I'm not a bah humbug person. I love Christmas. I love Santa. I, I love the reindeer and all that, you know. But, um, but we've always said, man, what if around holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we also just considered spending a little less on ourselves and making a difference around the world. And so we pray as a team every year on what's the cause that we want to partner with and, uh, and be a part of. And so this year we're going to partner again with one of our leading missions organizations called Convoy of Hope. And they do, they, they, they uh, deal with hunger around the world. They do a lot of things though. We also, just so you know, because we're one of their leading churches, they are disaster relief as well. So whenever there's a hurricane or a flood in our country, they're the first there. And because of your generous giving, we're partnering uh, uh, channeling resources to them so they can be the first ones there with water and love and care. And, but not only do they do disaster relief here, but they do feeding around the world in poor parts of the world. And so uh, we, we partnered last Christmas with something called the Women's Empowerment Initiative, which is to take women in third world countries and work through local churches, Jesus-believing churches, and, and leaders and provide training for them in business and and, and life and, and help them be mobilized to start their own businesses to, to change the cycle of poverty in their life and in their world. And, uh, and so we sent a couple of our team members, my wife and another one of our team members, Emily, our kids director, to, um, to a country just last month to get to visit some of the women that, we, that you all made a difference in their life last year. And then we're going to roll out a goal this year. And uh, here's the goal, and you're going to see it in a second. We, we're taking on a country this year for Christmas. So you're welcome. And... Uh, um, here, here's the goal. We want to we wanna change uh, the, the part of the world in El Salvador and work with um, Convoy of Hope to train and mobilize women to break the cycle of poverty and change their families. And I want you to just, we're so excited to roll this out as our focus from now till the end of December. But we wanted to get you to have a chance to just see some of their faces, see some of our team on location visiting them, and pray about what maybe all of our part could be uh, going into the end of the year. So Take a look. Hey, everybody. I'm in El Salvador with one of our favorite missions organizations, Convoy of Hope, getting the chance to see firsthand some of the amazing things they're doing to change the country of El Salvador. Now, last year, we challenged you to change 25 women's lives through their Women's Empowerment Initiative. 
And man, you guys blew us out of the water with your response. The Women's Empowerment Initiative is an amazing program where the women have a chance to join a mother's club for a year. They're taught hygiene, um, how to take care of their kids, nutrition, emotional health. And then after that, women are chosen for a program called Micro Plus, and that's where you come in. Micro Plus is a program that will teach them small business. So it'll be things like balancing a budget, how to do market analysis, how to save money, how to invest so that their business can grow. And at the end of that program, they're given seed money to be able to start their business. Today I had the chance to meet 26 women who graduated this program six months ago, and every single one of them has a thriving business today. The looks on their faces, their confidence, their excitement in what they were doing was contagious. We were completely moved by these women as they were so excited to be able to provide for their families and do things for their kids that they weren't able to do before. Our challenge to you, Chapel family, this year, we want to change the lives of 100 women. I know we can do it. We did an amazing job last year. We can do it again. And we have an amazing opportunity to partner with an organization like Convoy of Hope, who does not just put a Band-Aid on poverty, they actually work really hard to break the cycle of poverty. So this Christmas season, let's join together to make a difference and end the cycle of poverty in El Salvador. So good, yeah, so good. So here is the challenge. All of us can do different things. I had somebody after an early service say, hey, we can do uh, two families, $2,000. And, uh, and, and not all of us can do that, but I, I think all of us can do something. So if it's $20 or $50, or maybe you're here today and you say, I can, $1,000 takes care of one whole family. You say, I could do one whole family. We, we don't pressure anyone around here when it comes to giving, but we just want you to pray and ask God, God, what can my family do? What's my part to play? And I don't, I don't have a dream that we would all give the same amount. I just have a dream that we would all participate. You know, everybody could do 20 bucks or, or 50 bucks. How many know you could buy one less sweater? Come on, just pick them out better, right? And uh, uh, there's always one you don't like anyway. So uh, let's have an all play to the end of the year. You can write on your check Christmas Mission or online. There's a, there's a spot there, Christmas Mission, Convoy of Hope, Women's Empowerment. However, you're not giving to the chapel. You're just giving through the chapel. And we're going to take these missions resources. And we believe 100 women's lives are going to be changed this holiday season. So we're going we're gonna to love Christmas. We're going to enjoy Santa, all that kind of thing. But we're going to make a difference around the world. How many are in? Anybody in this, this year? Let's do it. Pray about it with you part of that. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, we're in, uh, we're going to start a brand new series. There's no teaching notes. We'll pick those up again in the month of January, but um, we're, we're starting a series that's just challenging us as we go into Thanksgiving and, and go into Christmas to, to, to celebrate differently. So we're calling it different. Like, hey, uh, how should we as followers of Jesus celebrate differently? What should be the way that we engage this time of year? Because our culture celebrates, and we love that. But, but how many know when you know the meaning of, uh, of Christmas, you know Jesus and his personhood, his coming, it ought to amp up your celebration, right? And so we're not against not, not celebrating. We're totally for celebrating. We were walking through the mall last night, and nobody was sitting on Santa's lap. And I said to Katie, I feel bad for him. Maybe I should sit on his lap. And she said, that's the creepiest thing I've ever heard. And, how many are thankful for wives? Come, and, and so I didn't. But, 
But listen, listen, we, we celebrate Christmas. We're not against that. But, but we just want to say, let's remind ourselves in the middle of the busyness and the commercialism and the sentimentalism of this season what it's all about. And we're going to challenge ourselves this holiday season to think, to think differently. And I don't know if you've ever looked at something and thought, that's different. <laughs> But as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about just how different the world is. I, I don't know, one of my favorite things to do is people watch. Anybody like to people watch? How I many know people are amazing? In fact, we had this thing at the beach where I would say to Katie, I would guess what part of the country they were from, just by how they walked and looked. And, and I saw this one couple, and I said, New Jersey. And she said, how do you know New Jersey? I said, I don't know, I just know New Jersey. And so she's like, ask them. And so I said, sir, where are you from? And they were like, New Jersey, you know? <laughs> Boom, you know. Uh, it's a thick gold chain threw me off. And uh, <laughs> if you're from New Jersey, I'm sorry for the stereotype. <laughs> but you know it's true. And uh, in fact, I came through some pictures that I just thought, man, that's different. Look, look at these guys. They're, they're swimming in the pool and they want some music. So they're just going to run. <laughs> How many know that's different? <laughs> I mean, know that's different. Look at this kid. Imagine this is your kid for Halloween. He wants to dress up like a toaster. I'm proud of you, son, but, but that's different. That's really different. I like bananas, too, but not really a bunker. I don't like to protect myself with them. How many know that's, that, come on, say it with me, that's what? That's, that's different. That's really, that's really different. These guys, this guy can't even travel. I don't know if you can see it. On the subway, he set up a hammock on the subway, and he's just chilling there. That actually looks amazing to me, so... That's different. Here's the last one when you're traveling to shop with your husband and you're sick of him talking. I mean, no, that's not different. That's just a good idea, you know. Man, what, what is it like to, to face the holiday season and ask ourselves, hey, how should we celebrate it differently? I mean, if we know the real story that, that the divinity of God entered the humanity of our world to rescue us, should there be a different way that we celebrate what, what should look different about it? I, I want us to look this weekend at um, one of the oldest, uh, most well-recognized prophecies of Jesus coming. This means that before Jesus' arrival, hundreds of years before, a prophet named Isaiah gave some prophecies where he looked down the corridor of time and talked about what the coming of Jesus would be like. And in fact, this is one of the things that gives us confidence in Scripture and, and, and in the authority of Scripture that you can't guess right at this many things. But yet Isaiah described Jesus coming and, and he described the possibility and the difference that it would make. Let, let's look at it this week. And here's what he said, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 3. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 3. He says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Here, here's the first thing that I think really ought to be different. I think this holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, we ought to have a different kind of celebration. In fact, I just had this idea that some of us that have gotten so used to, so used to Thanksgiving and so used to Christmas need to wake up a little bit this year and have some, some more joy and gusto. Hey, we know the story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the star, the wise men, the shepherds, Gloria, you know, and they play it in Macy's. Hey, hey, but catch this. Heaven has come to earth to rescue us, and we might need to just be re-reminded of that this year, that this is an incredible story. In fact, Isaiah describes the celebration in two ways, two metaphors to describe what it would be like when Jesus came. 
what the celebration would look like. Let me show you it. We just read it. But the two metaphors, the first one is a harvest uh, metaphor. When the harvest is gathered and brought home. Now, we don't totally understand this because we don't live in an agricultural society like they did. I mean, you, you aren't dependent upon your crops growing to eat. I mean, we have Chipotle. I mean, that, that, uh, like, like, but in that day, if, if you're, when you planted the seed and you watered it, you're dependent upon the, 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 uh, the right amount of rain, the, the temperature, the elements correct, in order for that crop to grow so that a family would either be able to feed their family or be able to go to market and sell the extra uh, things from their harvest. It, all of their year depended on the harvest. Like all of it, in that moment, whether or not those plants were going to sprout up underneath and was going to, the fruit was going to be produced to provide for them. And so when it came and it was provided for them, this is, a, this is like, it's a moment of joy. It's a picture of rejoicing. And Isaiah understands that. And he talks about, listen, imagine people in uh, all their living and being made off of the proceeds of this harvest and the joy that happens in their life when the harvest comes. He says, that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes and does that for us. And then the second uh, metaphor he uses is, is the end of war when your side wins. <laughs> he, he gives a description of two armies in battle and, and, and one side brings victory and the other side is defeated and you, you're, 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 you're liberated from, from oppression and you're given freedom and, and the warriors no longer have to spill blood and peace is restored to your community. And he paints these two metaphors and he says, this is the kind of joy that's gonna happen when Jesus comes. It's gonna be like harvesters celebrating and, 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 and wartime ending and people celebrating. And he describes this sort of, it's almost like a victorious team's locker room, you know? You've seen that, right? When the team wins the championship and they go in the back in the locker room, right? And they get the champagne and they shake it and they spray it, I mean, just rejoicing, right? He describes that's what it will be like when Christ comes. That's the kind of joy that will happen. I remember um, one of the moments of my, uh, my sporting life's greatest joy. I, I played Mighty Mites football when I was 10 years old, okay? It's back in the day, some of you that are now know football and the danger of it. It's back in the day when you put a helmet on your 10-year-old and you didn't care. They just ran into a wall. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? So I'm playing Mighty Mice football, and we're just bad that year, okay? I think we, were, we had seven games that year. We were 0-7. We didn't win at all. In the last game, not only were we 0-7, but we didn't score a touchdown all year. So now let me just unpack this for you. It's one thing to lose every game. It's another thing to never get in the end zone, Okay. Turns out, I think the coaches had a deal in the last game that the other coach was going to kind of let us score. I didn't know this at the time. It's since shattered my self-esteem. But we're down like 50 to nothing or something. And all of a sudden, we, we uh, running back breaks loose on the side, runs the, the distance and scores a touchdown. And my dad is recording the game. Now, if you're under 20, they, they, you used to not be able, you phones used to, first of all, there wasn't even cell phones, but in order to record something, you had to have a heavy duty, heavy duty. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? Camcorder on your shoulder. Look like you're CBS news. Okay. So my dad's on the side, lock, locking it in like a bazooka on his shoulder, right? And I'm watching the tape as we're, we're, we are now losing 50 to six. 
But we have scored a touchdown. And I'm telling you, there is rejoicing in the end zone. We're lifting up our friend. We're dancing. We are down 50 to 6. But I got news for you. That day, we scored a touchdown. And we've been working on it for three months. And so, how many know I'm a pretty special kid, right? Yeah. And that's the picture, sort of. It's this, it, it's this extreme jubilation. It's this rejoicing. It's this metaphor. Isaiah says that when Christ comes, it's going to be like harvesters breaking forth the harvest to take care of their family. It's going to be like wartime finally ending and rejoicing happening. And he simply says this, when Jesus comes, there is going to be a victorious team locker room eruption that declares my sins have been covered, my shame has been dealt with, my hope has been secured. Come on, friends. And we've been given eternal life. Anybody thankful for that this weekend, right? It's a different kind of celebration. And, and so everybody else can, can celebrate a certain way, but our joy is different. Our joy is different. In fact, Isaiah goes on to describe it. And he's writing to people who have been, uh, who suffered terrible loss. And in fact, the northern kingdom of Israel has been disobedient to God and the Assyrians have come in and have conquered their land and uh, taken many of them away and they'll be enslaved under uh, foreign rule. And it's in that moment that God describes what Jesus will do to even those who have been captive. He says, Isaiah 9 and verse 1, in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations and he will enlarge the nation and increase their joy. He says, in the future, the nation that's been taken captive will have life. And in the future, the nation that has been shrunk because of their own choices and their own sinfulness will be restored. That they'll have, here, here's the second thing, that they'll have a, di a whole different outcome. That what had shrunk their border, borders, disobedience to God and captivity, Jesus was going to come and enlarge. That when Israel's borders shrunk and they were diminished because... How I many know that's what sin does in our life? It restricts and diminishes. But he says Jesus is going to come and take that which has been restricted and diminished and he's going to enlarge it and give brand new life. And whereas there was once a place of gloom and despair, he will now declare a place of life and freedom. I wrote this down this week. What we lost through neglect, he will enlarge and give a new outcome. What we lost through sin, he will pay for and give us hope. And we'll be lost through our own personal choices. He'll come and bring life and freedom. He comes to bring a different outcome. Here is what Christmas is. Christmas is God's promise to make things right for you and me. Christmas is God's promise to take what's broken and make it right. To take what's uh, divided and make it whole. So here, here's the story this Christmas season. Not that we paid for our own salvation but that Jesus came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That the Son of God climbed on a cross and gave his life for us. Here's how Isaiah put it. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, say it with me, what's born? A what? A what? Child is born. A son is, a son is what? A son is. How many know when something's given, it's a gift? So you ask this weekend, how can I have a relationship with God? Is Christmas, you know, I've heard that Santa is up in heaven, and he, or North, North Pole. I'm sorry, not in heaven. Santa, I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize. I've been to seminary, I promise. And uh, don't seem like it, but I've been there. Um, can we start over? 
You think this is easy? You know, you, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, all right, so Santa's not in heaven. I want to go, go on record because sometimes people email me. They said, Santa's not in heaven. Santa's in the North Pole, and I'm not sure he's there either. So, but this is unraveling this morning. You, you know the story, though. He's making a list, right? And he's checking it twice. And what's he going to do? He's going to find out who's what? Naughty or nice. And then if you're, if you're nice, you get good gifts. And if you're naughty, you get coal. And so that, I think that's sometimes our view of God. Like Christmas, if I've been good, God's going to be good to me. If I've been bad, he's going to be, be bad to me. I, got, I, earn, I get what I earn. The story of Christmas is actually completely the opposite. The story of Christmas is God made a list and he checked it twice and you screwed up. But even though you screwed up, another one came and crossed your name off the list and circled it and restored it and made it whole. The story of Christmas is that we weren't perfect, but that we have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. But God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. A son is given the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself for our sins. And God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So therefore, we're saved by grace through faith. And this not of ourselves. It's the free gift of God so that there's no room for boasting. Hey, friends, this Christmas, there's no room for boasting. We provided the sin. He provided the Savior. We provided the brokenness. He provided the blessing, right? He has come to take away our sin. For us, to us, a, a child is born unto us, a son is given. I think it's interesting that, uh, uh, think about this, compared to any other world religion, that when God wants to fix the problem of humanity, he fixes it with a child. I don't know, I've never heard a man say, you know, my business is broken, somebody bring a baby, they'll know what to do, you know? <laughs> It's, in fact, it's, quite, it's one of the reasons why I think our faith is true because our God comes in an unusual way. He doesn't come actually in a prominent place. In fact, he doesn't come by worldly standards to prominent people. His mother is a simple peasant. His father is a middle-class carpenter. They're actually from the wrong side of town and, and, and they don't really bring much to the table. And, and here's the third thing. Jesus comes to bring a different solution. He comes in humility. He comes, in fact, he's born. There's no place for him to stay. There's shepherds there. You know, they're smelly. You, you've seen it all. It's like, it's not them. It's not, like if we were inventing a religion, we'd come up with something better, right? Starship from above, you know, uh, uh, the rock comes out and he's the savior. You know what I mean? We wouldn't have a baby born in a zoo, It's unusual. What I think is amazing about that is our God comes to save, not through might, but through serving. In fact, you know, Jesus, just before this whole thing's about to go down, and just before his, his work on the cross is going to happen, when just before that, in that moment, he takes a towel and a, and a bowl, and he washes feet. Because the amazing thing about our God is that he saves through serving, not through crushing. He saves in humility and mercy. He saves through gentleness. In fact, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I give it up. I've been thinking about that word gentleness. In fact, I looked it up, the Greek word for gentleness. It's the word pruetes, which means demonstrating power without undue harshness. And, and I just thought to myself, going into Thanksgiving week, some of you need to meditate on the word gentleness. 
because Thursday you're going to be with some people that you're going to need some gentleness. <laughs> How many know what I'm talking about? There's a family members we love and the family members we love a lot, you know? Gentleness. Demonstrating power without undue harshness. Man, this is a challenge. This is how Jesus saves us. Think of this. Not with brute force and might and conquering and demanding, but in humility and love. Like a sheep, he's willing to be slaughtered to give his life for us. I think we need a more of a dose of gentleness. In fact, I'm even thinking of this as a, as a dad and a husband. I need some more gentleness. I, I got a nine-year-old daughter, a ten-year-old daughter, who requires a little bit of gentleness. Let me tell you why. Her shoes are lost every day. In fact, this is what I would say is the number one source of conflict in my whole life. I swear. It's like time to go and her shoes are gone. In fact, one day I'm convinced I'm going to open up like some hidden room in my basement and there'll be 300 pair of shoes. I don't know where they go. Somebody might break in my house at night and steal tiny little boots. But every day, where can I go? I don't have my shoes. Where are your shoes? Are they disappearing? Are they disintegrating? Do you give them away on the bus? Like, where do your shoes go? And so I stand there and I'm like, let's just leave her. And Katie's like, no, she has to come with us. And I mean, no, like forever. Let's just leave her. How many know we need to demonstrate uh, power without undue harshness, okay? We need some brand new gentleness. Jesus comes like a child to save. In fact, when I was thinking of this word gentleness, I came across a way that when God talks about how he communicates with us, it isn't with brute force, but it's with humility. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 2. He says, my words, God speaking to the people, will be like gentle rain on tender young plants, or like dew on the plant. So he's saying, my words won't come on you like a, like a massive shower and destroy the crops. But I'm going to speak with a, with a gentleness and a tenderness and a kindness. The, the description is this way, that, that violent rain could fall from the sky and destroy the crops, but that tender rain nourishes the plants. And so God says, when I speak to you, I choose to speak to you in tenderness and kindness and, and love and, and gentleness and all those kind of things, but, but, but it's so that you can receive it. How many are grateful that we serve a gentle, patient God? Anybody? Anybody glad God doesn't treat you like you deserve, right? Like big time, you know. I, I didn't realize this till Katie and I had been married about a year and you don't realize my family, I guess we were loud talkers. And so she would say, why are you yelling? And I would say, I'm not yelling, I'm just talking. She's like, you're talking loud. I'm like, no, I'm exclaiming, I'm passionate. And she's like, no, you yelling and I won't talk if you don't be quiet, you know. <laughs> Jesus came with, with gentleness, tenderness, love, grace, in fact, in describing his salvation, Isaiah 9, 6, a son is given. He's going he's to win our victory through the gift of a son. So let me give you two takeaways today. Two takeaways. That's how the salvation comes differently. Let me give you two takeaways from what Jesus came to do for us in the incarnation that I think will help our life. Here's the first thing I see here, that our victory is won by opening a gift, not fighting a battle. I have great news this weekend. The battle has already been won. And victory for us in our life does not come from fighting a battle or participating a battle, but from just adopting the side that's already won, okay? So 
Our victory is won not by opening a gift, or by opening a gift, not by fighting a battle. Let me show you how Isaiah says it. Isaiah 9, 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Here's what Isaiah is saying. Every warrior's boot that's needed for battle, it's done. Battle's done. And every wartime regalia that they would put on to head into battle, you don't need them anymore. You don't need a sword. You don't need a spear. You don't need a bow and arrow. All that, it's when Jesus comes, it's all being burnt in a fire. Melt them down. Burn them up. You don't need that anymore. I'm really convinced that a lot of people think that a relationship with God is fighting your feelings and fighting for truth and fighting for and trying harder and pushing more. And I've come this holiday season to relieve you of all that. You won't find joy this holiday season in striving. And you won't find joy this holiday season in trying to be good enough for God. You won't find joy this holiday season in pushing harder, going faster, trying more. All those battle things, you can burn them up in the fire. They're done. He has come to fight for us. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Hey, friends, someone else has fought for you. Someone else has fought for you so you can have eternal life. Last year I was going to a, a basketball game, VCU game, an awesome guy in our church gave me special parking, and pulled up right behind and I said, hey, I can park back here. And the guy monitoring the lot said, no, 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 you can't park back here, it's special parking. And I said, no, 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 there's special parking. And so I told him my name and my name didn't help him much. He kind of looked at me and he said, sir, turn around, this isn't your... And then the guy in our church, and I, I used his name, and he said, oh, I'm very sorry. And he moved the cone, and I said, you better be. And I drove in, you know. <laughs> I have great news. Your name might not get you far, but when you name the name that has already fought the battle, the name of Jesus, it gets you into the presence of God and life everlasting. So if your thought this Christmas is, I'll just push a little harder, I'll try a little more, I'll go after it a little more, I'm urging you this Christmas, let it go. He has done for us what we could not do. Let's have a big bonfire with all of our good works of righteousness, and let's just rest secure in the good grace of Almighty God. He has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, okay? So our, our battle's already been won. We don't have to fight it. Don't refight it. In fact, Paul says that's another gospel, thinking you have to do more to add to what Jesus did. No, 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 no. He's already did it. He's already done it. He secured for us. We, we, don't, we don't finish off what he started. He gave us the gift of life. Unto you, a child is born, a son is given. So that's the first one. And second of all, our victory is recognizing by opening our mouths in song. So in just a minute, downtown south, we're, both, we're all going to sing and respond. And I know you're like, how can my song be a pleasing to God? Because I've heard some of this sing. And it's <laughs> brutal, you know. People are like, why is the music loud at the chapel? Because a lot of you are terrible singers, you know. <laughs> Amen. 
I received that. And uh, so, so what kind of song? In fact, Isaiah's describing who Jesus is, and he, he breaks out, unto us a child is born, a son is given. And then he starts to describe what he will be, and I love these words. Isaiah 9, 6, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Come on, let's say that together, downtown south. Come on, let's say it all together. And he'll be called what? Wonderful Counselor. What else? Mighty God, Everlasting Prince of... Come on, one more time. He'll be called Wonderful. Come on, Mighty, Everlasting Prince of... He's just compiling titles for God, names for God. What's he like? He's, he's like the best counselor. You got problems, you need to talk to somebody. Of course you do. You need a wonderful counselor. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you got problems. Come on, tell them that. You got real problems. Okay, you got wonderful counselor. Okay, break it up. Um, you feel weak, you've got a mighty God. You feel lonely, you've got an everlasting father. You anxious, you've got not just peace, you've got a prince of peace. And Isaiah says, once you realize that, that all this sun has been given and all the effects can be reversed, you will break out in song. Have you ever thought of this? This is the only time of year where in the middle of the store, they blast doctrinal music. I mean, you're standing in line and Christ the Lord. And you're like, did you hear that? No, no one really gets it. But man, I think we need a new song in our hearts. Why is there so much singing in Christmas? We, you could look, there's tons of singing around the birth of Jesus. When Jesus is brought to the temple, you remember Simeon who in his old age had, and he breaks out in song. You remember when the angel comes to Mary and says you're gonna give birth to, a, to a, the savior of the world, which that feels like a pretty intense day for a 17 year old girl. Anybody? Like, whoa, yeah. She breaks out in song. The, the shepherds and the, have angels appear and they don't tell them. They sing for joy and song. The, the entire incarnation, the story of Jesus is a story of song. Why? Because once we realize that our sin debt has been dealt with by Jesus' death on the cross, that he died in my place for my sins and he offers me his righteousness, it breaks forth in song. Last point, and then I'm going to turn it back over to downtown. In the Old Testament, the priests would wear what was called a um, a breastplate of righteousness. And it would have different attributes, the Levitical priesthood, of the character and nature of God. And they would put this on, on the way into the temple. In fact, they would also put a bell on their um, regalia, their garment, on the way in, because, honestly, because if God, if they, if they were a fake, God would kill them in there, and they wanted to hear the bell so they could pull them out, and... Uh, but when they'd walk in, by putting that garment on in the Old Testament, it was a point of saying, I'm about to enter God's presence in the temple, Old Testament. But I'm entering it not in the name of a human priest. I'm entering it by the character, attributes, and righteousness of the God I represent. Catch this, friends. In our relationship with God, we have a connection to him. Not because we are good, but because he is. Have you ever asked yourself why every prayer ends with this phrase? In what? In Jesus' name. Do you know why we pray that? Because we're saying after my whole long list of prayers, God, why would you ever answer them? I'm not even asking in Brandon's name. 
Would you answer them in Jesus' name? And what we do is we hold up the strong son of God to God the Father and say, it's not because of righteous things I have done, but because of what your son has done for me. I ask all these prayers in his name, and therefore it will get done. Every once in a while, one of my kids will text me and say, get something on this from the store on the way home. And I'll say, no. And then they'll text me another thing. Mom says to. How many know? In mom's name. I'm headed to Publix. Headed to Kroger. Headed to Wegmans. I'm doing it. Why? Because, because, because I'm smart. Hey, hey, friends, we don't celebrate Christmas in Brandon's name. We don't celebrate Christmas in Chapel's name. We don't celebrate Christmas in your name. We celebrate Christmas in the name of Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, risen, coming again. That is our hope. That is our message. So, man, we're going to respond in song, and we're going to turn it over to downtown, and we're going to just have a chance to respond with song. Come on, would you stand together? Come on, downtown, would you stand with us? Come on, let's respond. Let's respond in song. I'm going to turn it over right now.